Welcome. We're here with Pride Pages podcast, and we have Zoe Ann Olson, the Executive Director at Intermountain Fair Housing Council. Hi, Zoe. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be up in the morning and get to talk to you for sure and everybody else out there. Awesome. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast below. And now we're going to talk about Zoe and Intermountain Fair Housing. What brought you to Boise and how did you come to be here? So um, I'm originally from Pocatello, Idaho, born and raised in Idaho, lived there um, for 18 years and then went to the University of Washington, CLU, a few other places. I was a career student uh, trying to figure out my life, like what am I going to do? So I taught school. I did some work for the attorney general's office through the consumer protection division. Uh, I decided to go to get my master's, um, went to law school, just saw some injustices that were going on as a teacher and thought, oh, you know, I really want to make a difference. Um, and then I just realized, you know, my heart is in Idaho. My, my parents are here. My sister moved back here. Um, and then, you know, looking at the civil rights issues that are going on in Idaho, I just I wanted to come back and do something about it. My husband um, is from Seattle. And so he was like, I am not going anywhere smaller than Boise. And so that was our <laughs> compromise. If I was going to move back here, um, I was going to come back to Boise. And um, I had gotten a public interest law foundation grant to work at Idaho Legal Aid. Um, and I loved it. And that's where I found my passion for housing law. Um, loved everything about it, uh, wanted to do it. I did consumer law, family law, um, senior law, all different types of housing law, and then uh, worked with Intermountain Fair Housing Council and just, I knew that was where I was meant to be. Like I knew that this was um, the job I wanted to do, you know, as long as they'll have me. <laughs> so I'm passionate about civil rights um, and you know, and ending discrimination. And so this is this is why I'm here. And love the the fact that you know I have family and friends here, um, and have just we've made it our home. And we love everything about you and everything you've done for us. You're awesome. Oh, thank you. So you shared a story in your past about your uncle. Can you share that for the audience here? Sure, sure. So um, it's. You know, it's been a hard, hard, you know, few years, as we all know, since the pandemic. Um, and, um, you know, 2020 was especially hard. When I moved to Idaho, I didn't realize like we were a magnet for all of my um, father's brothers and my sister's, uh, excuse me, my mother's uh, brother. And so everyone, all our elders moved back to Boise to kind of be here with my sister and our family. Um, and as they aged, you know, we did a lot more um, taking care of, having meals, things like that. Well, my um, uncle, um, who is 90 years old at the time, 91 years old, excuse me, um, he got cancer um, and he didn't really have a lot of options. He was living um, in senior housing independently um, and the doctor said he, you know, he was dying. And so we opened our home. Sorry, might get cried. <laughs> um to hospice and he um, lived with us. And when he um, got to like the last eight weeks of his life, sorry, um, he said to me, um, you're gonna have to go clean out my, you know, we're gonna have to move you out. And he said, well, I wanna tell you something. And I said, well, what do you wanna tell me? And he said, um, that I, he said, I'm gay. And he said, this is really hard to tell you because um, I was never able to tell anyone. 
And I just, you know, I wanted you to know. And I said, you know, I listened to him and I thought, you know, this is his lived experience and that is his whole life. He couldn't share it with anybody. And I felt really honored that he shared it with me. But I also felt like this is something where, you know, we have to change this, you know, for our children, um, for community members in Idaho. You know, he had lived here a really long time. He'd lived in other states. Um, and I just, you know, it just, um, it was heartbreaking that he felt like, you know, he had to keep that in, you know, and not share it with anyone. Um, and I know he, he hadn't felt safe. And especially among, you know, our elders, um, we're, we're able to share this more today, and especially our young people being more open-minded and upholding the rights of people who are LGBTQIA. Um, but I was, he was, you know, someone I felt that I could be myself with and I'm just utterly grateful that he felt like he could share that with me. Um, and um, I later told him, I said, you know, I, I always knew. And, um, but I really felt grateful that you felt trust in me that you could tell me that. So um, he was an amazing individual. Um, he was a speech pathology professor and truly civil rights hero in unto himself. He gave millions of dollars. You'd think he was poor. If you ever saw him, he drove, you know, the worst car for 20 years. He never spent money on anything for himself. Um, and he gave away, you know, millions of dollars to charities of all civil rights organizations. He was, you know, incredible. Um, and so I just, I was grateful that and honored that I could take care of him until he passed away. And he felt safe with you. And, yeah. and even though we helped with sorry, men, teary. <laughs> what's that? I said, sorry that I'm teary about it. No, I love it. I'm glad you shared that story. I, that was very powerful. Um, so what are some things that you were passionate about improving within our community that showcase pride in making things better? Well, you know, since fair housing is my passion, um, I, I want to make our, our community, you know, the city of Boise, um, but also the state better. Um, we do that through our work. You know, I do that individually, you know, by supporting organizations that are, um, you know, uphold um, the rights of people who are LGBTQIA. I, you know, we attend um, pride events and foundation, pride foundation events and community celebrations and all around the state. But I think most importantly, the work we do um, at the Intermountain Fair Housing Council and the collaborations we have with um, our, our LGQIA leaders in the community and our community members to um, work on you know, fundraising and volunteering and supporting candidates who are upholding the rights of people who are LGQIA um, and also like listening to our younger people, right? Listening to our elders, listening to our younger people about their struggles um, and particularly those who are the most vulnerable um, and are thrown out of our communities and maybe entering shelters, um, having the same equal access is really critical right now. Um, and so we're, you know, really trying to make sure that they know their civil rights, but also that um, those housing providers know that they, you know, must comply with either the Fair Housing Act or the Equal Access Rule or the State Human Rights Act. And so, um, you know, it's about showing love for our community members um, and understanding. And um, it's about showing up when there is a non-discrimination ordinance um, and you see your your cousin there too. And you're like, 
this is great. Like I never would have thought that, you know, he would have supported the same, you know, same thing that I believed in. Um, it's about showing up at, you know, protest when these laws have been passed in our state legislature um, that are not um, providing equal access and upholding our civil rights. Um, and it's about, you know, showing up at this podcast and um, telling you, you know, how much you're loved and we want you to be here in our community. Um, and it's part of my family. I, it's intrinsically part of my immediate family and my extended family. So I'm happy, right? This is like, this is for the safety, but it is also for the health and, and, and thriving of our community. And we feel that you're definitely family. So, and you, you show that you've been there so much. So um, what, is Intermountain Fair Housing Council. What what exactly is it? Sure. Intermountain Fair Housing Council is a nonprofit organization. It was started almost 30 years ago. Next year will be our 30th anniversary by actually by Idaho Legal Aid Services. Um, and they work to make it an independent organization. Um, and we provide uh, free education and outreach, um, investigation, technical assistance, um, and um, file enforcement actions, both in, with HUD or Department of Housing and Urban Development, I'm told not to use acronyms, and also um, in court to uphold the, the Federal Fair Housing Act or Title VIII of the Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination in housing and housing transactions based on race, color, religion, or if you don't have a religion, national origin, sex, including sexual orientation and gender identity, although it's not explicitly stated, it has been decided in several cases. It's also included in the equal access rule, disability um, and familial status, or if you have families with children, um, a, a broadly defined. Um, and so our goal is, you know, prevention first, um, trying to educate as many people as we can about um, the love we have for fair housing and creating inclusive, um, non-segregated, non-discriminatory um, non communities. Um, and then also if someone has um, needs help, whether it's a housing provider or a community member or a governmental entity or you know um, any person that comes in, regardless of their income, regardless of their alienage, um, we are here to provide um, help on a fair housing issues. Um, and sometimes, you know, if someone's been discriminated against, then we have to investigate it and they will call us um, and then we will investigate it through, um, you know, we do um, gather evidence, we do phone calls of witnesses, we gather documents, and then sometimes we do what's called testing where we secret shop and see um, if we can corroborate the allegation of discrimination by simulating the same housing transaction um, and if we can't mediate, negotiate, and try to resolve and educate um, a discriminatory action, then we file with HUD. Um, and we do, we probably take about 20,000 conversations of housing a year, um, 2,000 intakes, two to 3,000 intakes. We probably have processed 950 to 1,000 um, 1, allegations of discrimination. Um, furthermore, you know, further, further investigations, you know, 200 to 300. We typically file 12 to 20 HUD complaints a year, those that couldn't be resolved by these other means. Um, and from that, probably three to six um, uh, federal court complaints or state court complaints. Um, we do also do eviction prevention. We have a really generous grant um, to work with our, our community partners on eviction prevention. 
Um, and that has been, you know, incredibly powerful, especially when there are mass evictions. Um, typically other organizations don't take mass evictions. Uh, and it's also really helpful because we can represent people that other entities can't, people who are undocumented, people who have had criminal history um, and, you know, people of all walks of life. So, uh, you know, you need housing and to be able to prevent that is, you know, really, really powerful. And then we also helped with emergency rental assistance during the pandemic. Um, we were grateful to have a grant from Idaho Housing and Finance Association and um, work to help get people um, who may have found barriers in accessing rental assistance or housing providers who couldn't connect um, or help their tenants connect with uh, emergency rental assistance. And we did this in all 44 counties. So um, that really helped during the pandemic, not only help get um, housing providers paid, but also keeping people secure and safe and healthy. Um, and so that was like just a genuine help for, for our community. I love that. I love Thank that. So can you explain the state of LGBTQ plus equal housing rates within this state here in Idaho? Yeah, I'm going to do it a little bit in layers because I don't want um, anyone to feel like um, disillusioned by the state of civil rights. Um, it, it is um, concerning, but the Federal Fair Housing Act protects all of us nationwide against discrimination in housing and housing transactions, in rentals, home ownership, you know, sales, lending, insurance, appraisals from discrimination based on sex or sexual orientation and gender identity. And I think that's really, really important because um, many people don't know that. And we want people to know that, that you have rights and that if you feel you've been discriminated against in your housing on any of the bases, right, race, color, religion, national origin, all the protected classes that I mentioned before, but including sexual orientation and gender identity, you should reach out to us. Or if you're a housing provider and not sure how to comply through your business, or if you're government, right, and you don't know how to comply to make sure everyone has um, fair housing compliant access, that's why we're here. We'll, we'll provide equal access and fair housing training. Um, so I want people to know on a, on a national level, the federal law supersedes state law and local law, um, unless it's more protective, right? You get more, if it's more protective, you get more civil rights protections and people should reach out to us if you have a complaint and or we can work with um, HUD or we can work with a private attorney um, or you can, and we wanna make sure that you know that. Um, that being said, um, we don't have um, sexual orientation or gender identity specifically stated in the Fair Housing Act, but it has been interpreted through case law and also the passage of Bostock, right? Which was a Title VII employment case which most all the time gets applied, Title VII cases, employment, equal rights cases, um, say that, you know, you can't discriminate, Bostock said you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity um, in employment. And that usually almost always gets applied in housing cases. And in fact, we have a couple cases, the Smith case, the Wetzel case, and other local cases that we've had where we have successfully applied that law, um, that interpretation of law in our cases and settled cases, either with HUD or outside of, of, um, of litigation. Um, and furthermore, um, in the state, they typically, if you file a complaint with the Idaho Human Rights Act, they will also use that same analysis because, um, you know, that is the kind of the state of the law at a federal level. And um, even though it's not explicitly stated, um, in the um, Idaho Human Rights Act, um, they usually interpret it similarly. Um, 
And if not, you if you have four or more units of housing or you've brokered three or more units of housing, the Fair Housing Act applies. If it's um, less than that, the Idaho Human Rights Act applies. And um, so either way, we're going to get you the help you need. And so we would definitely want you to contact us to make sure that if you're discriminated on that basis. Um, after the, the Bostock decision, um, the Biden administration then um, reinforced or re, um, reaffirmed the equal access rule, which if you receive federal funding, you have to comply and make sure that you don't dis explicitly don't discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity um, in housing if you're federally funded. That is from um, transitional, that's from shelters, um, it's from any kind of federally subsidized housing, um, federal loans, um, federal insurance cannot discriminate explicitly on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, and of course, all the other protected classes. So that's outside of the Fair Housing Act, um, but it helps. It's like an extra layer of protection um, um, in the equal access rule for federally funded entities um, that get funding from HUD um, and in uh, some other circumstances. Um, and then in the, in the state level, um, we have, right, we have we have it not explicitly stated, but um, we have it also being applied in the same way under the Idaho Human Rights Act. And then there are 14 cities that include sexual orientation and 13 cities that include um, uh, sexual orientation and, uh, or excuse me, includes uh, gender identity. Um, we would love it if they would all include sexual orientation and gender identity. And I think that is a really important push. Um, to my um, concern is that we have two community development block grant cities, um, Caldwell and Nampa, that receive funds from HUD that do not have sexual orientation or gender identity protection in their non-discrimination ordinances. Um, the other um, 13 cities have sexual orientation um, and gender identity, and 14 have just sexual orientation. It would be amazing to have all of them um, include that because they receive um, you know, money from the government, and it would be incredibly important. So they can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, um, in employment, public accommodations like a business, hotel, um, and or housing. And then we have two counties that protect their employees, and that is Latah County and Ada County. And that's pretty incredible too, right? Because um, that could be, you know, a, have a, a ripple effect, right? Or a, or a domino effect to hopefully um, create that um, protection in all of our counties. We would love to see it at the state level. Um, we really think this is incredibly important. Um, it's been amazing that um, our sister organizations, sibling organizations, um, add the words and um, you know several other ACLU, Planned Parenthood, um, all the LGQIA organizations that have done just this amazing work and have tried for 10 years um, I think this will be the 11th year that um, our state has not added um, sexual orientation and gender identity to our um, Human Rights Act, um, while states around us have, um, including Utah. And I think, um, you know, it's time that we do that. Um, and so my hope is you're protected. If you think you're not protected, you are under the Fair Housing Act. There is case law. You are protected um, in federally funded housing transactions for discrimination. Um, under the equal access rule, there are cities that protect you, but it's time that the state also, right, including familial status, which we don't have either. We don't have protection for families with children. It's time that we do that. Um, our states around us have, and I think it's just 
incredibly important um, to you know love all of our community and make sure everyone feels welcome. Um, and I think that's a really uh, powerful way of showing it. And so I feel like you've pretty much answered what exactly our rights are as LGBTQ+. So is there anything we missed or can I go ahead and move on to the next? Sure, you can go on and move on to the next one. <laughs> Which is perfect. I said and a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> Well, it's perfect. You're covering exactly what we want to know. So yeah. um, you've talked a little bit about how we go about protecting ourselves. Can you speak a little further on that, um, on how we can protect ourselves when our rights are um, in incriminated on? Yeah, I think I think most importantly, people need to know their rights. Right. So if um, if you are um, experiencing discrimination in housing or any other um, transaction, you know, education, medical services, um, any of the other, you know, daily things that intersect with housing, because housing is kind of like the heart and, um, you know, your blood vessels and that lead to, you know, going to a university or going to work or going to get medical services or caregiving or whatever that is that makes us thrive. Um, we need to know that we cannot be discriminated against, right? Um, in those transactions, um, in those interactions. And I think that's the best job that we can do. We're, we're the ambassadors or the liaisons or the connectors of fair housing and civil rights. And so um, the best thing people can do is, you know, know your rights um, and then tell others, right? You're, you're the experts and you um, can use your lived experience to let other people know what is occurring. And if you don't feel safe, there are, you know, we have people who come to us who experience discrimination, uh, particularly when it's, you know, if they're um, LGQIA and they're being harassed and they're experiencing discrimination by a housing provider or some other entity, um, you know, we build a safety plan and it's much like a safety plan that you would develop if you were um, a survivor of domestic violence or violence. Um, it's about building connections with those who can, if you don't feel safe with law enforcement or other governmental entities about um, building a liaison with us or one of your these uh, sibling organizations to reach out um, and have our law enforcement address it um, and the appropriate um, U.S. Attorney's Office. There are hate provisions also under the Fair Housing Act, but also the Matthew Shepard James Byrd Hate Crimes Act. Um, and that was used in the Steve Nelson case when he was killed um, um, out in Nampa because of his um, sexual orientation. Um, and those are one way is that people, if you know your rights um, and you know who you can go to to help enforce your rights, even if you don't feel safe. Um, and if you don't feel safe and you want to file a complaint, we can file it on your behalf anonymously um, or find another way for us to do that. Um, we can also build um, stand up. I call them stand up ships, which is like an allyship where if there are ways that we can work together collaborative like we have with with you um, to build a, a safe a wall of safety to get people the things that they need, you know, um, legal representation, um, resources, um, access to, you know, down payments when they've maybe been rejected in other ways. Um, it's a really powerful way to build those connections and then make sure people get the resources they need in the way that they feel safe. Um, because it is really, really, um, you have to, you have to have a lot of support to be able to stand up in a, in a hateful or a harassing situation. 
and everybody does it in their own way. And there, there is no shame in that, but knowing what you can do is power in, a, in and of itself and know that there are people here to help you if you need it. Um, and I think those are really important things. And on a larger level, um, we've had the, the community relations services office of the department of justice come in um, when we don't feel safe with law enforcement or other, um, other entities, um, then they'll come in and help um, provide training and kind of that safety wall of safety um, so people can get their civil rights needs addressed. Um, and that's why, you know, we're here to work with, you know, other, other entities like the U S attorney's office or CRS or, um, uh, you know, talk to the, our law enforcement or community about uh, creating safety when there are incidents like there was in Coeur d'Alene or in, you know, at the college of Idaho where there were, engaging in hate and harassment toward um, people based on their LGBTQI status. And that goes for race or color or, you know, any other protected class, because we're not, we're not just, you know, we're not just our sexual orientation or gender identity. We are, we are our race and our color and our religion and or no religion. We have, we're all that, right. We're all something Absolutely. intersexually and um, they're here to help. They have programs designed that are free. Um, and when there have been hate incidents across the country, um, they've formed, you know, safety um, groups so that we can come together safely and talk about how do we build safety and security in those situations. Um, but it comes down to people knowing who to go to and feeling safe to go to them so that if they need to address, um, if they need to address an act of discrimination or hate um, or build a wall of safety that they have, um, they have the resources to do so. And it's scary to stand up for and ask for help and face discrimination. A lot of us feel like it's easier to be silent about it. And um, I mean, I know that just from my own experience, um, when I felt like I was discriminated against DMV for walking with a cane, totally different incident, um, nothing to do with me being gay, but um, it, it took me uh, two weeks shy of six months, which was the time limit to speak up and say something. Um, and so it, you know, don't be afraid to call and reach out. And even if it's after the timelines, please speak up and reach out because you can help somebody else. And just know that it takes a lot of courage and we're here to stand with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and we have to in our neighborhoods, right? I mean, we have people who fly, you know, hateful, hateful flags. We know, know that they're not safe people. We've actually taken cases where they were, you know, um, uh, unequally enforcing people um, based on their race and, and their, um, their gender identity and sexual orientation um, regarding their flags. And then subsequently, you know, hateful acts or discriminatory acts occurred. And um, we have to uphold that right now that we're doing that. And, you know, it is, a matter of showing um, that we're safe, right? If I fly my, which I do in my neighborhood, I have my my Black Lives Matters flag. I have my pride flag. Um, my grandfather was um, born in Mexico. So I'm also very proud, um, uh, you know, Mexican heritage. And um, if your neighbor across the street maybe doesn't agree with that, um, sometimes they do things that aren't the nicest. And, but if you stand up to it, and everybody stops and makes peace and you say, hey, you know, I get I got all the love and world for you. I'm the one that's going to help you. If someone 
forecloses on your home or treats you wrong or, you know, eggs your house or something like we're going to, I'm going to be there for you. So please support me um, and, and make sure that we all feel loved and welcomed in our community. This is this, you know, this kind of stuff is, is just not okay. Um, and so we're here for that as well, right. To make sure people feel safe in their own, in their own homes. Right. Absolutely. So you have um, mentioned how intersectionality seems to increase discrimination. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, it's, it's right. It's like a layer, right? If you are, if you're not only, um, you know, gay or lesbian or transgender, but you're also, you know, black, um, have a disability, um, sometimes the layer of, of what someone does to keep you out of housing prevent you from buying a home, making sure your house is appraised at a lower, um, at a lower, you know, a lower rate, um, or any of those things is totally compounded. And then um, it's even more so if, you know, your, your um, neighbor hates you because of your race, but also because you have a disability. Oh, why do they get the service animal? And, you know, why did you move in here? Um, we don't like your people. And then they find out that you're also gay, right? Or transgender. The layer of discrimination that occurs, the hate and harassment toward um, individuals and sometimes community groups and sometimes someone who provides housing for people based on that intersectionality of people they want to have in their community um, is just made worse, right? Um, and we know that's historically true because um, we, as, as a country have used the discrimination that we, you know, did toward our indigenous communities on everybody subsequently. And we learned just how to be more clever about redlining people. And I mean, using proxies to not allow people into housing and community education, access to credit, um, having credit cards, um, medical services, um, and we have to, we have to like learn about it, right? We have, we have a, a, a training video on our website about our fair housing history. And so does the National Fair Housing Alliance. Um, and then we have to, we have to dismantle it. We have to be able to recognize those discriminatory um, patterns that we keep on engaging in over and over again. Um, what, what, like, for example, the racial covenants, right? We have these racial covenants rules that we've had because the Home Loan Corporation um, and the Federal Housing Administration, not the Fair Housing Act, um, the Federal Housing Administration and um, in their creation dictated HOAs, right? Homeowners associations and condo associations and in deeds to keep people of color out of communities. And they're still in, in deeds and CCNRs, um, covenants, conditions and restrictions. And those same, those same acts of, of hate to keep people out of housing because of the color of their skin, and some people based on national origin and some people based on religion, were then used against families with children and people with disabilities and people, uh, people um, who are LGQIA. And um, they've just, we found clever ways to disguise that, like not allowing fences, not allowing play structures. Those are all layers of saying, we not only do we not want you based on your race, but we also don't want you based on any of these other things. And, and maybe they don't say it outright in their rules, but it's how they apply the rules or the things they apply them to. And it's insidious. So we got to recognize it. And then we've got to, to know our rights, right? We're, we're all talking about these things today. 
and then we've got to do something about it, right? We've got to make it right. Um, and I see so many people out there um, educating one another, you know, housing providers who are part of an HOA going, you can't do that. You can't have these rules. You can't ban just pride flags. You know, those are the same things we did to people of color or people based on their religion. Um, and so, you know, these it's really important um, because it's felt even more severely when, and more compounded when it's, you know, multiple bases of discrimination. Yeah, yeah. So um, what are your goals towards education and what cities are you focused on right now? You kind of touched on it just a little bit earlier. So can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, so um, I wanna celebrate that um, we are really, really supported by our community. Um, we were um, generously um, worked our, our bums off and got um, five HUD grants. <laughs> um, so Department of Housing and Urban Development, one of them specifically on um, addressing sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination. Um, and so we're working um, with the Transgender Legal Education Legal Defense Fund. Um, and um, of course you um, with Pride, Pride Pages and also the LGQIA Alliance and our sister organizations. Um, and sibling organizations to um, bring um, sexual orientation and gender identity uh, know your rights workshops to the community. Um, but we're also working on um, doing equal access training for all the jurisdictions, meaning, you know, the larger cities that received community development block grant funding um, and um, the state, because it's really important that everybody knows what their rights are. And then uh, we also know how to comply, right? That we make sure that people are safe entering housing and not um, further victimized and re-victimized. Um, and so um, part of that is getting the word out and education through social media, um, through podcasts like this, through um, our, our trainings, but also collaborating with community organizations that are doing the work and um, our community members who are doing the work. It's really important um, that we collaborate because it is our lived experience, right? On a daily basis, everyone is experiencing this discrimination, whether it's just based on LGQIA, it's also on, based on race and color and national origin. And we get religious and we've had a lot of sexual harassment claims um, and um, disability and probably disability is the, the most, uh, the number one that we receive. But um, if people know their rights, uh, more and more people will report these things. And then that gives us a chance to educate people and come back and, and, and provide training and, and try to make a difference. I think the most important thing um, is focusing, uh, excuse me, is um, focusing on policy change. Um, and that means um, whether it's educating a shelter about, you know, making sure there's equal access for the most vulnerable in our community um, or, um, you know, loan officers who may not know that they have to comply with, uh, you know, federal transaction with the equal access rule, um, but particularly cities, right? Cities are, 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 are our um, home, our refuge, and our communities need to know that um, it's really important, especially, I'm gonna say Nampa and Caldwell right now, um, and you know other little cities that may maybe are willing to pass non-discrimination ordinances. Um, we're gonna work um, hopefully city by city with our, our partners on getting uh, non-discrimination ordinances um, passed and and um, our job at, at Intermountain for Housing Council is to do that education with our with our partners on that and um, try to build that coalition um, and I'm I'm really hopeful about it because I think it's really important. It is very important, extremely. 
Um, so tell me about this Fair Housing Home Ownership Series that you recently got a grant on for the well, go ahead. <laughs> I know we've been working on this for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a big push. I think home ownership is critical um, because that's how we achieve the American dream, right? And create generational wealth and thriving. Um, and a lot of people, it's really, it's really out of reach, right? Um, we're seeing that more and more um, from our from our young people and people who generally have never been able to own a home because of their race or color or other you know other protected class um, or because they're historically been discriminated against or experienced you know um, lower wages or um, didn't have access to credit because there wasn't a local bank in their community um, and so this is a way to bring about um, different community partners who will provide information to our community about other programs so you know if if someone has a disability um, they may not know that they are eligible for an able account which helps them you know create a down payment for their for home ownership um, or how to create a, an individual development account from some of our community organizations across Idaho so they can have create a down payment um, for home ownership. Um, it's also about creating inclusive language, um, making sure that your home ownership opportunities um, are accessible to people with disabilities, your website, um, maybe how you communicate with somebody who, who is deaf or blind. Um, it's also about communicating in other languages. Um, people who are limited English proficient should have equal access to um, your housing counseling services. And um, we created a whole page on our website about how you can do that um, to make sure people have um, language services. And then also about using inclusive language from the LGBTQIA community and making sure people feel welcomed and that you're safe um, when purchasing a home. And so um, our goal is to try to discuss some of the really innovative um, programs that are out there that people probably don't know about that actually um, help people purchase housing um, and um, are doing it on a national level and um, the special purpose credit programs that are trying to work on correcting historical wrongs of keeping people out of the, the housing market. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, my, my hope is that we look at different opportunities like resident owned communities um, that Leap like Leap Rock did and um, the Spokane Rock have done in Northern Idaho to create um, homeownership opportunities for people who are um, below 80% of AMI and sometimes uh, below 100% of AMI um, annual, medium, uh, annual medium income, um, area medium income. And um, this really is a way for them to get kind of out of the rental market and into um, creating generational wealth. And that's, you know, really important in our country. That's um, the way sometimes when things are hard for you um, that you can help create that um, also for the next generation and um, build equity and have that for um, when you retire. And so, or if, if you can't retire, at least have a home where you're not paying rent. And so um, we're excited to hear from our leaders about these opportunities. Um, and um, hope everyone will join us to learn I'm more. I'm excited about it. Okay, so one last question. How can we help Intermountain Fair Housing? We're, we're interested, we wanna help. So how do we go about doing that? What can we do? Yeah, we, we love volunteers um, or interns or people who want to work with us on um, projects. So if you want to help us with um, doing you know, intakes, taking calls, um, working on projects with us for education, 
we love help with our investigations. We love help with testing um, people who may want to help us by um, doing fundraisers or fundraisers. Um, working on these policies together collaboratively, um, being involved in one of our in one of our projects to educate the community about non-discrimination ordinances or um, some other fair housing issue. We always welcome any kind of you know donations or support in any way. Um, but I think the most important thing is to be an ambassador of fair housing, right? Be a community partner by educating and letting people know that we're here. Um, if if I could have anything today, it would be that you know, hopefully you've learned something and that if you think something sounds like discrimination that you um, contact us or let that person know to contact us um, or contact us on their behalf. I know sometimes we, you know, it takes one person um, to help another to be brave and courageous. And if they don't feel safe yet, um, I'm hoping you're the person that will create that, you know, that capacity for them to feel like they can do something about housing discrimination. We always appreciate any kind of collaboration people are interested in. So um, something like this is just, it's really an amazing way to tell people about what we do, but also that they have their housing rights and they can do something about discrimination. I love that. I love that. Well, um, thanks for listening, listening to Pride Pages podcast. And we hope you enjoyed this episode with Zoe Ann Olson at Intermountain Fair Housing Council. Thank you so much. Thank you.